0: 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17 through 25. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to take that Black Pew Bible, open up to page
1: 1179. 1179, and that'll help you kind of track with us as we walk through the text. We're, we, we try to do expository preaching here at Beaver. That means we just walk through, we walk through books of the Bible, teaching through the text and uh, verse by verse. And so we'll do that today. First Timothy chapter five. When I ask the children second grade and under, if you'd like to go to children's church, we line up here at the door. Down here, we'll go to go to children's church. Pooh, we were in um, in Sunday school and in the class, Carly helped me teach this morning the little ones, and they didn't know Father Abraham. They didn't know Father Abraham, so we might, might need to work on that song today. And in, in uh, children's church, you can lead that. Mackenzie can help lead that. I We try, to, um, we try to do, um, we, we have new, new modern day hymns we try to introduce to you, and we sang several of those this morning. We sing um, Sweet Hour Prayer, that's an old hymn, and we try to teach that to our, our children because a lot of our children don't know those good hymns, and I don't know about you, but I find myself as I get older, uh, I sing those more and more. In fact, when we're on, uh, our, our some of our folks are on their deathbed, that's typically what we go to. And so what, as Jenny says, oftentimes we're trying to prepare people to die well. And so we're trying to learn those hymns. But I, what Carly and I were back there and we were talking about Abraham and they didn't know that song. And I was kind of shocked. But I guess that's just an, an old song. But we gave them some homework. We sent texts to the parents and said, that's homework for the week. Let's learn that song. Um, so anyway, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. If you're visiting with us, man, we're, we're glad you're here. A lot of our people are out. It's fall break, and so we have people that are traveling, uh, so we want to pray for them. A lot of those are listening uh, now uh, through our live feed, but we are glad you're here, and we pray that the Lord will bless you and use this time to bless your soul, but I, w- I will tell you, if you take that Black Pew Bible and open it up, it's gonna, uh, you'll benefit from it. We're walking through the letter Paul had written to his son in the faith, Timothy. Paul has gone on to Macedonia to minister there. He left Timothy in a a city of Ephesus to minister there to the churches. And we've been looking these last few chapters how to organize and administrate the church. So we're given a a tutorial, if you will, in church administration here in 1 Timothy. Last week we learned that we should take care of, of true widows. True widows are those who have no family, who've been faithful and served in the church, And we said that families of of those uh, family members of of widows should should care for them and let the church support those widows who have no family. So we learned that last week. And this week we're going to look at how the church is to treat their pastors. Pretty good topic (laughs) today. That's the, the, the topic of our text today. It's kind of an odd thing for a pastor to teach about how you're supposed to treat the pastor, but here we go. Um, a couple of things we're going to see. A pastor that leads and feeds well should be honored and be taken care of. We'll also see uh, that a church should protect their pastor from unsubstantiated accusations. Pastors uh, must be disciplined properly when need be and selected carefully. And lastly, pastors should take care of themselves spiritually, but also physically. Um, So first point taken from verse 17 and 18. A pastor that leads and feeds well should be honored and taken care of. And we saw in our last text last week, chapter 5, verse uh, 3. Look at that text. Go back just a little bit. Verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows and that word honor there we said last week it doesn't mean just respect, doesn't just didn't mean just recognize them, just respect them, but it also means take care of them, support them financially. So double honor, what does it say in verse seventeen? Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. What does it mean? Double honor? Well in the Greek, I don't I don't use the, the Greek the original language very often, but in the Greek, it means providing a four-wheel drive Chevy pickup. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, That's why I don't use the Greek language. Uh, to Talk about the Greek a lot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it means to show honor in two ways. Double honor. One is respect, um, recognition for a job well done, maybe. Uh, but secondly, it's that... Um, that support, that financial support, taking care of the pastor financially. And this is keeping with Old Testament um, principles given to Israel concerning the Levites and the priests. How are the Levites? Do you remember the Levites? That was the, the, one of the 12 tribes. They didn't, they didn't receive an inheritance when the land was divided up, the promised land, right? They didn't receive land, but they were to be taken care of how? It's through the tithes and offerings given uh, at the temple. 2 Chronicles 31, verse 4. He commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priest and the Levites that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. So the idea, the all, part of the offerings, the tithes that were given to the temple, part of that money was taken and, and, and given to the, the priest and the Levites who worked there in the temple, who taught the word, who administered uh, the sacrifices, and who um, burned the incense kept the candles burning, those type of things. So similarly, just like in the Old Testament days, the Levites and priests, similarly, that we support pastors um, so that they can devote themselves to the Lord's ministry. Paul says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Look at verse 18. What would happen is your, your oxen would pull uh, sometimes pull a little a wooden sled and sometimes they would just walk. They'd have a couple oxen yoke together and they would just walk around and they would be throwing the, 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 the sheaves out on uh, the ground and they would walk over those and trample those and what it would do is separate the grain from the stalk. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Also, the worker deserves his pay. And so, Paul is quoting, firstly, from Deuteronomy 25, 4 about the ox. And secondly, he's quoting from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. This is the words of Moses, and this is the words of Jesus, pretty, two pretty sharp fellas that we should pay attention to. So if you shouldn't begrudge an ox who treads out grain, what would happen is that ox is stomping and tromping all over the the grain. From time to time, what would they do? Yeah, they would just reach them down there and grab them a mouthful. We, we, have, we have horses, and so we ride horses, and they just shelled corn here on Candy Lane, and so we've been riding our horses out in the, in the, the, the cornfields, and some of the corn they miss. So as you're riding along, lo and behold, you come up on a, a, a missed stalk of corn that wasn't shelled, and there'd be some ears of corn on there, and what do the horses want to do? They want to give them a bite. So what do we do? We stop and let them them feed for a while, let them eat, and then we carry on and we ride some more. Well, that's what's happening there with the oxen. They just want to reach down and grab a, a bite from time to time. So if we shouldn't begrudge an ox who treads grain, we shouldn't withhold a faithful pastor support either. The man who spends his time in the work of the ministry should be supported by the congregation. If you keep the muzzle off the ox, you're going to lose a little grain, but you keep the ox working. okay? And there's once in in Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah went back to rebuild the the wall around Jerusalem after the exile. The Levites, they weren't supported, and so what did they do? They left the work there to go and and to make a living, Nehemiah 13.10. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work, had fled each to his field. There were three boys, young boys, and they were bragging about their daddies. You know, little boys do that. You know, my daddy whoop your daddy. No, my daddy whoop your daddy. And this is why. You know, all that kind of stuff. Three boys bragging about their daddies. The first boy said, my daddy writes a short story, line, short uh, lines on a paper, a few short lines, and he calls it a poem. And he sends it to somebody, and they give him $100. The next boy said, well, that ain't nothing. My dad, he makes dots on a paper. He calls it a song. He sends it to somebody, and they give him $200 for it. Third little boy said, well, that ain't nothing. He said, my father writes a sermon on a sheet of paper. He gets up, reads it from the pulpit, and it takes four men to haul in all the money they take in. Now, for some of, our, some of our young people, they don't understand that. We have an offering box where you put, like, if you're, if you're a guest here, fill out the guest card. I'm not going to show up at your house at 630 in the morning or nothing like that. All right, we're just going to send you a little information about the church. Put it in that little offering box. But what usually happens, you pass around offering plates, right? And so that's what the little boy is alluding to, hauling in all the money. And that, that's funny that some think a pastor gets all the, the offering in fact, it wasn't too long ago that a, a young girl that was visiting our church, they told my Claire Beth, they said that we were rich. And it kind of surprised Claire Beth. I said, like, well, why would you say that? We're not accused of being rich very often. Why would you say that? She said, well, your daddy is a pastor. He owns the church. Isn't that funny? The thoughts children have. We don't, I don't own the church. I'm a part of the church, right? I'm a shepherd of the church. And I'm so thankful that our church takes care of me and my family. We're very thankful. But in Ephesus, there were some leaders there that were worthy of double honor. They worked hard at shepherding the flock, at teaching the people. But unfortunately, not all leaders are always good examples, and we need to be corrected, me included. But there's caution should be given when entertaining accusations, Paul says. A pastor's, think about it. his character is of utmost importance, So we should not be quick to latch on an unwarranted indictment, I think. And that's our second point. Protect your pastors from unsubstantiated accusations. I mean, think about this. When interviewing for a job or interviewing someone for a job, maybe it's an investment broker or a banker, you would look first at what? You look at their portfolio, right? Yeah. Look at their portfolio. Yeah, look what kind of work you've done. What are you going to bring with you if you come to the bank? What clients are you going to bring? Right? before a pastor what do you look first at you look at their character without good character a pastor is without a job right think about the qualifications we saw back in chapter 3 they're re- really really important one of those is having a good reputation with outsiders people outside the church so why would some make unsubstantial Accusations. I mean, think about a pastor, he's got a very visible job, and a pastor makes decisions sometimes or leads the church, right, in ways that maybe affects some people negatively. But you, you try to lead the church in a way that's going to benefit everybody, the whole, right? So sometimes things that we do, decisions that have to be made, they affect some people negatively. And then what happens? People get their feelings hurt. And that happens, folks. It happens from time to time, unfortunately. And then some of those folks might have a need to make accusations against the pastor. And a hard decision had to be made, but might not necessarily be sinful. But it can be hurtful. That may be one situation where somebody would want to make accusations against a pastor. The second reason, maybe someone's neglected. Somehow they just fell through the cracks, right? Small group leader didn't call or something didn't happen and some people feel neglected and they may be quick in that situation to make an accusation against a pastor. Another reason, third reason is you know, Satan often stirs up people who have been offended by the preaching of God's truth. Sometimes we, we teach the Bible, and it ruffles feathers. As we said, that the Bible rubs against us the wrong way sometimes. And it, we need that, because we're all sinful. And so maybe somebody that's been offended at the preaching of God's Word may make some unwarranted accusations. And fourthly, another reason that may occur is that maybe a a pastor has had to confront somebody privately about sin in their lives, and they didn't like it too much, and so they want to point out fault in a pastor, And, and it is easy to criticize, it's easy to complain, it's easy to slander in these situations, for sure. John Calvin, he says, none are more exposed to slanders and insults than godly teachers, they never avoid a thousand criticisms no doubt some criticisms are unjust pastors have clay feet we are sinful and at times we need to be rebuked just like everybody else but we need to make sure paul is saying here we need to make sure that if something is brought up that it's a sin problem that it's factual and that you have more than one person to validate that accusation. And if not, Paul says that we need to probably zip it, right? Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. We see that Deuteronomy 19.15. A single witness shall not rise up against, shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So it's important that Innocent shepherds be protected from false accusations, because the character of a pastor is a big part of his resume, isn't it? Some merit, some pastors merit recognition and honor, but some merit correction and rebuke. That's their third point. Pastors sometimes need to be Rebuke. Look at verse 20 and 21. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudice. Without, I'm sorry, prejudging. Doing nothing from partiality. This is kind of like castor oil. You don't want to have to use it, but it's good to have on hand just in case, isn't it? You know what castor oil is? Yeah. Young people don't. You'll learn how to sing Father Abraham and learn what castor oil is today. Those who persist in sinning, means those pastors who they are guilty of sinful behavior, guilty of sinful attitudes, they've been rebuked, but they persist in their disobedience. And so proper steps need to be carried out. According to Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Yeah, you have somebody sins against you, there's an issue, you ought to go to the person, right? And let's have that conversation between the two of you. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses, just like the, the text we read out of Deuteronomy, right? But if you refuse to listen to the the second rebuke, tell it to the church. What do we do? We tell it to the church so that people in church can pray and can reach out to them, right? And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So there's a first private confrontation, then one or two more with you, and then the church, right, on a serious matter where there's no repentance. And and there's some matters that require a public confrontation regardless. You remember a few weeks ago we looked at Galatians chapter 2, Paul confronted Peter. The church was expanding, being established. Gentiles were coming to faith, and there was a a council in Jerusalem. What what do we do with all these Gentiles? Can they come to faith in Christ, or do they first need to become Jews? And so they had to be counseled where all the apostles met, and they determined in that council in Acts chapter 15. No, Gentiles don't need to be. Jews first. They don't need to become proselytes. No, they just need to repent and trust the work Christ did for them. So there were Gentiles that Peter began spending time with, and he would eat with them. But then a group of pastors, some of the apostles, came from Jerusalem, and they came to have fellowship and to break bread. And what did Peter do? He withdrew from the Gentiles, right? And so what did Paul do? Paul rebuked him, but he didn't do it privately. He did it publicly. Why? Because the offense happened publicly. The rebuke needs to be as public or as private as the offense. And depending on the seriousness of the sin, the man, the pastor, may need to step down. If he's a pastor and he's being rebuked, he may need to step down from his office until he rebuilds a godly reputation. But for some, their sin may disqualify them from that point on. He says, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. And it's real easy, right, if somebody has a position of authority to not say anything not bring it up. I mean, think about the scandals that have taken place over the last few decades and defamed the name of God over the years. Remember the Jimmy Swaggart scandal? What about the PTL Club? Remember that name? Jim Baker? What was so damaging about these ministers falling into sin? It wasn't that they fell into sin so much as their sin wasn't exposed by the church, but it was exposed by the secular media. Don't know what what happened there, right? Was too much power or they have too much money or too much influence, but you have these things happen in the church, and they need to be brought before the church, and rebukes need to be handed out if need be. And the church can, I think, avoid some of these situations if it, um, if it doesn't lay hands on hastily. That's our fourth point. Look at verse 22. He tells us, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. That's appointing people to be pastors, right? Ordaining men to be pastors. Don't be hasty in laying on, hands, laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. How do you, you go about choosing a pastor of a church? You put an ad in a paper. paper, You take resumes. You can do that, and churches do. I think it's man. It's so good to be able to raise up pastors from within the church. I know we have a pastoral intern. Morgan Moody is our intern, and what we're doing is we're watching him as he grows in his ability to lead, and his ability to teach, preach, his ability to shepherd. Really, a, a. 2 Timothy 2, two is a really big part of, drives our leadership development. And, and what Paul says this to Timothy in his, in his last will and testament, that letter, 2 Timothy, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what we're looking for, we're looking for faithful men, people who have been faithful. You give them a little, give them some things to do, and are faithful to those things. So what do you do? You give them more. Let them be faithful with those things. And then you give them more. Let them be faithful with those things. So what we're doing with Morgan, we're watching him over time to see if he's going to be faithful. So far, so good. Yeah, we're excited. When I lived in Louisville, I was, uh, Gene and I, we were in a small group of singles. We we were married, newly married, but we led led a small group there of about 40 Divinity School students. And it was interesting how intelligent they were and how um, sharp they were. They were just brilliant. Some of these men were brilliant. And they would come in and they would bring in their Greek New Testament. That's when I always taught from the Old Testament, just to throw them off, right? And they were just really brilliant. Some of them went on to be you know, Hebrew professors and, you know, Leaders at Lifeway and different things like that. But think about how we disciple people and how our pastors are equipped. Pastors are equipped through the church. But what happens sometimes, we depend on divinity schools and seminaries to disciple and equip our pastors. And I'll tell you, I've been in that environment. And that some of those men are brilliant. Really, really smart. In fact, Dave, our, my partner, he ended up going over overseas with us and working with us over there. He would sometimes say, man, how in the world are we leading these people? Because there's so many people who are just so brilliant. I said, well, we had good church experiences. We had some people love on us and disciple us and spur us on. Some of these guys, they didn't have that. I mean, they just came green. And they knew a whole lot of stuff, and they could read out of the original Greek, but they didn't know how to love people. They didn't—they didn't know how to deal with conflict. They didn't know how to shepherd people. Some of them, to be honest, with you, they didn't—they weren't servants. I think before you be a before you're a pastor, you got to be a deacon. You got to want to serve and and do the menial things, right—the mundane things, the everyday things. But the church—that's how we raise up pastors. The church, we give them things to do, and we teach them, and we shepherd them. And uh, Morgan—he, we had a, a funeral to do this this week, and so he goes with me, and he does part of the funeral, and I do part of it, you know. And then he's now he's doing those on his own some too, you know. It's like yeah, you just little by little let them be faithful. He, Building grounds takes up a lot of time and our deacons, we got great deacons and they do anything that needs to be done. But a lot of times we're at the church during the day. Repair men don't come on Saturday and Sunday. They come Monday through Friday, right? During office hours. And so we have to handle that. So what what I've done is that takes a lot of my time. And so I'm giving that to him. And we have a team, but he's kind of heading that team up because he's here and he's giving those things. And as He's faithful. You know what? We're going to give him more. And he's faithful. We're going to give him more. Watching him, teaching him, helping him be faithful. Yeah. Think about the, the parable of the, of the talents in Matthew 25. Churches, they the <laughs> disciple and raise up young pastors. Look at verse 24 and 25. And there's there's a place for seminary. I think it's a. I think it's. I went to seminary. I think it's wonderful. But I think it's, it's not the disciple making arm of the church. The church has failed, and that's why we have seminaries. But the thought is that seminary is going to equip our people. No, the church equips our people. Supplement that with some seminary training. But pastors, let's raise up men in our church. Look at verse 24 and 25. The sins of some people are conspicuous, obvious going before them to judgment but the sins of others appear later so also good works are conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden i think verse 22 and 24 25 go together don't lay hands on people too quickly i think a cautious cautious examination over time will reveal the truth about someone's character and character is really important for a pastor I mean, isn't it interesting how you can meet some folks, you think, man, we meet some people, they visit our church, they're here a few times, you think, man, they're great people. Man, they're going to fit in real well here. And after a little while, you think, man, I think, man, that joker has some leadership potential. He knows a lot about the Bible, he's pretty charismatic. But all that glitters is not gold. And over time, sometimes, not all times, sometimes, you begin to see character flaws and deficiencies and pride problems and integrity problems. And there are others you meet. Maybe they don't impress you all that much at first, but over time... As you see them live their lives, as you see them love their wives, discipline their children, you see them be faithful. Think, wow, how did I miss that? This guy loves Jesus and he loves the church, but it takes some time to see that. I mean, we all have sin issues, we're all broken, we're all. In need of sanctification right yeah we all are every person but i think when in, in regard to raising up leaders raising up pastors let's not be too quick to crown somebody homecoming king at a fellowship right until we get to know them a bit and we kind of do that at our church in membership don't we somebody say, man how long does it take to come a member to your day come church well it comes it takes a little while. We, we do that process really slow. It's deliberately slow. Someone said, well, what needs to happen is, well, you need to get mad at us like twice to see if you're going to, like, want to be here or not. How much more so leaders and those who want to be pastors? Abraham Lincoln, he said, you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. It's a wise word in choosing elders. That's what we see here in verse 24 and 25. In, in Europe, before the Middle Ages, there were like two classes of people. You had the nobility and kind of like the clergy. And they were people that either had the, the money, the position, the education, so to speak. And then you just had the, the servants. And it was a a kind of relationship where the the nobility, they just kind of took care of the the servants. Protected them, provided for them, and the servants did all the work. But then during the Middle Ages, what began to evolve and take place was there began to arise a group of people that were servants. They provide a service. And they became eventually the, the middle class. And you would have someone who was a... A tradesman, and they would teach someone who was learning, an apprentice. And how long did it take for an apprentice to become a tradesman? Well, it depend on the trade. For instance, a barber. Well, a barber was shorter time frame because you cut somebody's hair. If you mess up, well, it will be all right. Unless it's James Parks, it's going to grow back in a matter of weeks, right? Right, Kevin? Yeah. So it, 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 it's okay. It, you know, maybe, maybe a matter of months you, be, you could kind of be, begin to cut hair on your own. And what would happen is, is there's a, uh, you, would, you would do something. Say you're a, a, a wheelwright or a silversmith. And what would happen over after a little while is you, you, would, you would present a piece of work to the hall to all the other tradesmen in that particular field. And if it met their specifications, met the standard, they would give you a, what's called a hallmark, and you could then work in the hall of that sp- specific field. And, and some of those things would take a while. A silversmith, that would take a while. But, you know, if you, if you do blow it, you could, eh, you know, a goldsmith the same thing. You could melt it back down and start all over. But what about a, somebody dealing with stones, like precious stones? You know, the jeweler, a, a stone cutter, like someone cutting diamonds. It would take a long time. Because if you, you cut a diamond incorrectly, there's no recycling it. You can't fix the problem so that period of study would be much longer are not souls more precious than diamonds how long does it take someone to develop the skills prove to have the character to be a a pastor meeting the qualifications of 1st Timothy chapter 3 it takes a A little time, I think. We need to let men learn and be faithful with little before putting them in charge of much. Let those who want to be pastors learn and prove themselves faithful before making them a tradesman. I mean, think about it. I think one of the most dangerous men in the world is a preacher that's not qualified. This is a very influential and powerful position to have. So we have to be careful who we put in those positions. A pastor has authority and has influence. If he uses the pulpit for his own benefit or misuses his authority, it can do a lot of damage. So we don't put novices in the pulpit and give him the reins until he's proven himself over time. And, of course, none of these instructions are, are foolproof, right? We put men who are not fit for the office... It causes problems, but sometimes that happens. We don't recognize them immediately. Think about Judas. Now, the Lord was never fooled by Judas. Jesus knew Judas, he knew that he would rebel would betray him he knew that from the very beginning he knew the kind of man he was he exposed him without naming him in John chapter 6 verse 70 he said, he, he said one of you is a devil yeah he knew about Judas but the other apostles didn't they were hoodwinked right when Jesus had them all together when is he is going to betray me they're like who is it you think it's me you think it's you you know they didn't know Sometimes it happens where you have someone who doesn't have good character and they fool you for a while. But I think if the church church selects pastors too rapidly, what happens is we one thing is we miss qualified men whose good work appear later than those of others. Church Father Jerome he says the good deeds of some are. Public property while those of others we come to know only through long intimacy with them. So let's not be too quick to lay hands on someone and put them in the pulpit. And lastly, the fifth point, up to verse 23. Pastors should take care of themselves, not just spiritually. You know, we talk about it all the time. We, we, never, we never graduate from the spiritual disciplines. Someone comes to faith, they repent, they trust Christ. What do we do? We encourage them, and we teach them how to study the Bible. Here at our church, we use an inductive Bible study method. We teach them how to study the Bible, and we encourage them. We, you, never, you never grow out of that. You never graduate from the spiritual discipline. So me as a, a pastor, I have to daily be disciplined to draw near the Lord in prayer and, and study the Scriptures and memorize the Scriptures. There's spiritual disciplines we have to do. We never graduate from. But we also have to take care of ourselves physically. Notice verse 23 no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Timothy, we said this in the introduction, he must have been maybe a little sickly. He had some stomach issues, so Paul gives him instruction to take care of himself, drink a little wine instead of just drinking water. And Could their water have been bad? Could um, Whatever, I'm not sure. But I know I've had some stomach issues, and I've drank, I've drank uh, from time to time some apple cider vinegar to help soothe your stomach. And you could say, well what about Pastor, can we can we drink? You pop a top and drink? But scripture doesn't prohibit that. And in fact here it says, Yeah Timothy, have a little wine with your for your stomach. But but I will at the same time say um you know, some have used this to support their drunkenness, but there's so many texts in the Scripture about the effects of drinking uh, too much. So You say, well, are you a, do you drink, Pastor? I don't because the warning passages are too many, right? One said, you know, I only keep a bottle around in case of snake bites. And they also say, but I also keep me a small snake around too yeah we have to be careful with that there's a lot of scriptures that deal with that but pastors i think the point here in verse 23 take care of yourself timothy take care of yourself we need to make sure we pastors we take care of ourselves not just spiritually but also physically so what do we do with this text it's a a text about pastors and ministers to pastors in some way how does the church minister to pastors and a couple of things just by way of application i think we need to pray for god to raise up men godly men i think um if we had another pastor we could move along a lot quicker some of the things we need need to be doing i think some of our care would be better i feel like every week i feel like every day you know when you, when you leave and you go home there's like a, a to-do list and you never get to the bottom of the list you feel like you're neglecting people People need to be cared for more intimately. And so let's pray that the Lord raise up men, both vo- vocational pastors and lay pastors. Let's pray that the Lord would do that. We, I think we need that. We could care for people more comprehensively if we had another pastor. I think I'll ask you to pray for me and for Morgan. We, we pray together about this often. We recognize that... Um, we have a testimony and a witness and it just takes one something to go wrong a bad decision Um, something said that will disqualify us from pastoring so we ask for protection and for wisdom Um, the father would keep us humble and discipline us when we get out of his will pray for morgan and see he would continue to be faithful and, and that lord would protect him and he and Kayla would continue to be faithful, and the Lord would bless them, and we're, I'm so thankful for him. Look forward to working uh, with our secretaries and with Morgan, and uh, just, you can pray for him. Um, and I, I'm, I'll say to the church, I'm very thankful to be here at Beaver. I did two funerals this week, um, and these, even though they were family members, they weren't part of our church. But I was so happy to do that. And you know what I did? I had the opportunity to share the gospel Amen. with quite a few folks this week in a very pointed way. I love doing funerals. I think it's a great opportunity to minister to people. But I was able to do that because I'm full time. I I, I'm able to fit time in to do that. Um, and so I'm, I'm thankful. Um, I don't have to um, scrounge up work. On Friday and Saturdays, my days off to make ends meet and to pay the bills and to make sure Carly gets to go to college, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm really thankful for you. And we are blessed to be here, Jenny and I, and my family, my kids. I think, fourthly, I think you rebuke your pastor if it's needed. I mean, it says to treat pastors like everybody else, do so without partiality. And so if I need to rebuke, I get them, I get them, closed door. (laughs) Meetings and I get them, and um, I think we have some men in our church that are very—they love the Lord and they love the church, and and you know we do that in different ways, don't we? We said in, in, in chapter five, verse one and two, we correct people differently. Older men we correct differently. We do younger men and 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 older women we correct differently. But we have to correct and we have to point out fault, and and I appreciate the men that do does that in my life, but do that more and more as you see that need and I think lastly as we close we all need a certain type of rebuke. We need to be told that we're a sinner. We all need to hear this. we're all sinners. We're talking about rebuking pastors, rebuking but we all need a rebuke. We're all sinners and, and the scriptures is real clear. Because of our sin, and we're living in rebellion against the the Heavenly Father, He must, because He's just, He must deal with us. It's called judgment. The Bible is clear that He'll pour out His wrath upon people who are in rebellion against Him. And how many of us have been in rebellion against the Lord? We all raise our hands. Yeah, we're all in rebellion against the Lord and because of that God's going to pour out his wrath upon us. Did a couple of funerals. We're going to have another funeral Sunday. We're going to have another one in a few weeks, months, right? Yeah, we're all going to die. It's destined for man to die once and then to face the judgment. God's going to pour out his wrath upon sinners. It's it's like you can say we're all on a one-way road to hell. And there's no off ramp. And that's the truth. And that's the bad news. That's coming for every single sinful soul. Every single human being is in rebellious against the Lord. But the good news is that God gave us a solution, a remedy. We're on that one-way road to hell. It's like he, we've got a, he built an off-ramp, and that is by sending His Son, Jesus, who took on flesh 2,000 years ago and he walked this earth and he lived a life. He didn't live in rebellion like you and me. No, he lived submitted perfectly obedient to the Father, obeying the law perfectly. And he went to the cross and he allowed these sinful terrible people to say terrible things about him. He did not reply. He gave himself up. He was crucified, willingly died. He didn't just die physically. There were nails in his wrist, nails in his in his in his ankles and he suffocated there on the cross but the most terrible part about that is the father poured out his wrath upon the son and the son paid for the sins of all those who would trust in him he bore that he died he was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead And the bible says so that sinners could be justified He showed himself to the disciples. They saw his resurrected body. He ascended into heaven. He told his disciples, Go into all the the nations, make disciples of all the nations. Go and, and preach the gospel. Tell them how they could be reconciled to God, how they can avoid hell. How can they avoid my wrath? So that's what I'm doing today telling you how you can avoid the wrath of the Father we all need a rebuke and for many here we've heard that rebuke and we've responded with obedience we've repented turned from our sin living our lives for ourselves we've embraced the truth that Jesus died for us that he rose on the third day so we could be right with God and we cried out to the lord lord save me forgive me i want to obey you from this day forward So I want to encourage you to do the same thing. There's bad news, one-way road to hell, there's no offering. God, in His mercy and grace, has given us a way out. He's given us a way to, not only a way out, but a way to know Him. It's not just to avoid hell and the wrath of the Father. It's a way for us to have a love relationship with the Father. And that's what we all want. That's what we all need. So I want to encourage you, just by way of application, if you've never heard that rebuke and responded rightly by repenting and trusting christ i want to encourage you to do that today just cry out to the lord something like this lord i'm i'm sinner i'm wrong i've been wrong and i deserve your worst i deserve hell but i recognize i understand that you sent jesus to die for me to live for me and to die for me and to be raised on the third day so that i could know you so that i could have my sins forgiven And today I want to turn from my sin, live it for me, and I want to live for you. Forgive me, save me, help me. Say something like that. Maybe that's just by way of application something you need to do today. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. We're going to have a benediction. This is going to be, we're just going to sing us out the door today. I'm going to ask you to stand with us. We're going to pray. I'm gonna pray for you if you're lost, if you're not a Christian. I'm gonna pray that God would help you to see your sin and help you to see how good He is. That you would cry out to the Lord today in faith and repentance. Church, we need to we need to be praying. You need to pray for me. I'm a I have clay feet. I want you to pray for me that I would be a, a godly man. I'd be a godly example. Be a good shepherd to you. Morgan would be a good uh, shepherd. That he would. Love well and be disciplined and, and pray that the Lord raise up other men, that he would give them the desire to, to shepherd and to teach and to, to, to love the flock, maybe in a vocational way, maybe as a, a layperson. We need to be praying for that. Father, we acknowledge your goodness to us. We're thankful for your word and how we can read it. Father, we can read your inerrant, in, infallible, inspired word, and we can understand it. We're so thankful. God, we're thankful that you've put pastors in our lives. I'm thankful for the pastors I've had that's been so good to me. Every pastor I've ever had has been so good to me in so many ways. And I'm thankful. Not perfect men, but men you've used in my life. Father, I pray that you would help me be the pastor I need to be. You would lead me. Discipline me when I need it. Use me to equip these sweet brothers and sisters to do your work in this world. Father, there's some people here, I'm sure, that are have not been rebuked and responded rightly. And today they've heard the gospel, how they're sinful and how you want to redeem them from their sin and wickedness and selfishness. and I pray that you would open up their spiritual eyes and spiritual ears, that they would see the truth and know the truth and respond rightly by embracing it, by turning from their sin and by embracing the Savior. Father, thank you for Jesus who died for us, who was raised on the third day. We're so thankful. Do your work in our church, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. I mean.